Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Pijini's power lines have sparked some of California's deadliest wildfires, including the 2018 campfire where the utility pleaded guilty to killing 84 people. As summer approaches, the potential danger of high-risk power lines starting fires around the state is rising. Joining us to discuss where the Bay Area's riskiest power lines are and where to go for help if a power line doesn't look right is Aaron Glantz, Senior Investigations Editor for NPR's California Newsroom. Aaron, welcome to Forum. It's good to be with you. It's great to have you here. We're also joined by Dr. Nathaniel Skinner. He is program manager of the safety branch of the Public Advocates Office. That's the independent consumer advocate at the California Public Utilities Commission. Welcome to you, doctor. Thank you. It's good to be here as well. Aaron, let's start with you. Tell us about this investigation that KQED and NPR's California Newsroom has has undertaken. Well, what we want to know, uh, knowing, as you said, that many of our deadliest wildfires have been sparked by PG&E equipment. The campfire, which killed uh, 85 people that you were just talking about. Um, The Zog fire just last summer that killed three people. Uh, The Kincaid fire in Sonoma County. All of these were caused by PG&E equipment. And PG&E has been called out by the CPUC for not maintaining its equipment adequately. So what we did was we got a list of all PG&E's highest risk power lines, and we mapped them on top of a map of the areas that are most vulnerable to wildfires this year. And it's a stunning visual. I encourage everyone to go and find it on kqed.org. Yeah, and you can email us at fires at kqed.org, and we will send you a copy. That is fires at kqed.org. It's it's really frightening. If you live in the North Bay, uh, in large sections of Sonoma, Napa County, uh, it is troubling. If you live in Woodside, mm-hmm. uh, in the area above 280 there, it's troubling. If you live out in Boulder Creek, um, it's troubling. If you are listening in the Sacramento area and you live anywhere in the Sierra foothills, it is extremely troubling to see these black lines on our map which represent areas of PG&E's electric grid where they say that corrective action needs to be taken. Dr. Nathaniel Skinner from the Public Advocate's Office to you. Um, You know, obviously, 
these uh, these power lines are are a concern across the state. It's not just PG&E. SoCal Edison is dealing with this. SDG&E in San Diego is dealing with this. But here in PG&E territory, where the the territory is vast, we have many millions more customers. What does PG&E need to do to secure its lines? So PG&E keeps masking its failures. It needs to stop doing that. It needs to focus on the areas of the highest risk, um, as Aaron has identified in the map that KQED has put together. And they really need to take ownership of their failures and start writing their ship. And that the place to begin with is by admitting that they haven't been focusing in the highest areas. They keep changing what they say is the highest risk. They need to get in there and get the work done. And we did ask a PG&E representative to join us for this segment. They declined. We are talking about high-risk power lines with Aaron Glantz, Senior Investigations Editor at NPR's California Newsroom, and Nathaniel Skinner, who oversees the safety branch at the CPUC's Public Advocates Office. We will be right back on Forum from KQED. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Lily Jamali. What are your questions about power lines and wildfire risk? You can give us a call now at 1-866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We are at KQED Forum or email your questions to us at forum at kqed.org. We're joined by Aaron Glantz, Senior Investigations Editor at NPR's California Newsroom, and Nathaniel Skinner, who oversees the safety branch at the CPUC's Public Advocates Office. Aaron, uh, what should people be looking for if they're concerned in their own neighborhoods about what they see? And what, is, what are some of the telltale signs of a particular risk? Well, the rules are not the same everywhere. Uh, so the guidance that I'm going to be giving people now is if they live in one of these high-risk fire areas that is in something called the state response responsibility area. So what this means is if you live in a big city like San Francisco, it doesn't apply. Um, But in most of the areas that we've been talking about, like uh, rural Sonoma County, rural Napa County, uh, down in the Santa Cruz Mountains, where we've had these wildfires, these rules are in effect. And if you see uh, tree branches that are up in the power lines, that is bad. Mm. They have to be four feet away from the power lines to prevent sparking and wildfires. Now, if you're looking up at that pole, you may see other things on that pole that are not power lines. You may see cable lines. Those are often these black lines that run below the power lines. You Mm -hmm. wanna look up to the top of that power line where there's a wire and see if there's a tree branch that's four feet from those wires. They have to be four feet away. And then you wanna look down at the bottom of that pole. And you wanna see 
if there is a tree that is has a trunk that is within 10 feet of that pole. Mm-hmm. The tree cannot be within 10 feet of the pole. And then you want to look up and see if there are any branches from a tree that might be, say, 10 or 11 feet away from the pole that might be getting close to that pole. The branches have to be trimmed within that radius up to 8 feet. Why? Because we don't want a tree to fall on the power lines. Okay. And you uh, actually sent one of our colleagues, Mark Albert, from uh, our our, our uh, partner station KRCB in Santa Rosa to look around. He took a drive on some of the the spots that were particularly problematic on the map that you guys put together. What did he find? Yeah, so we sent uh, Mark out to drive around Western Sonoma County along the lines that you can see on this map. Uh, and again, you can get a copy of this map by emailing fires at kqed.org. Uh, he was driving around near Occidental. And uh, he saw redwood trees where the branches were getting perilously close to the the power lines. Uh, he saw uh, some oak trees that looked like they were making love to the power poles. They were so close and almost wrapping around them. Uh, so uh, we called PG&E. It's a we, family show, Aaron. <laughs> but they, these 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 trees. I mean, they they were embracing this power pole, mm. and they're supposed to be ten feet away. From the poll. So we called PG&E to get their reaction, and uh, they sent a truck out, and they said they used a laser uh, tester and that the redwood branches were not four feet away from the pole, and they said that the poles themselves were exempt because they were, quote-unquote, liquid-filled, which seemed weird because it looked just like any other pole that you and I have ever seen. And but, yet... <laughs> and yet they went out and they trimmed back the yeah. poles. So... Um, so that's why anything that you send to us at fires at kqed.org, if you get the map, then you can also send us a picture of the poles in your area, the branches in your area. We will look at them. We will give you feedback. And we will also forward every single uh, picture that you take onto PG&E. Uh, to get their reaction. Mm-hmm. I want to bring in Diana Dillon. I'm, f- I'm sorry, Diane Dillon, who is a Napa County supervisor. She joins us on the line now. Good morning, supervisor. Good morning. What are your concerns about power lines up where you are in Napa County? Well, our concerns about the power lines is uh, that uh, PG&E's activities related to protecting their power lines is creating a terrible burden on property owners. Uh, PG&E is whacking, uh, as was described in uh, the print media, whacking uh, Mm -hmm. trees down uh, without regard to uh, the impact on the property owners leaving the trees behind. After 2017 fires, uh, PG&E... Uh, also underwent an effort to remove trees near power lines, but they removed the trees if the property owner asked them to. Uh, We have over 18,000 trees that have been cut by Mm PG&E since October, and about almost 17,000 of them are still on the ground, unless Mm -hmm. the property owner paid to have them removed, which is a huge, incredibly large Expense. Dr. Skinner, I'd love for you to respond to what we just heard from uh, Supervisor Dillon in Napa County. 18,000 trees brought down. Is that a lot? It is a good number of trees. Um, PG&E is having this challenge um, in all their service territory. Uh, the problem has only been fueled by the uh, lightning-driven wildfires from last year. Um, and certainly leaving the trees in place, um, you know, it's leaving fuel 
um, out in areas that are prone to wildfires, and that is not a good thing. Diane Dillon, how is PG&E responding to your concern? Uh, well, not with the response we'd like, which is for them to come and collect these trees. Uh, they've made uh, a, a very uh, low uh, suggestion that they should uh, perhaps pick up the trees within 50 feet of structures, but that is a pittance of these trees that are near uh homes or other structures. Uh, So it's really not any viable offer we can consider. And and if I can just say, Lily, what I was talking about earlier is this problem of the poles too close to trees, limbs in poles. PG&E whacks these down, as Supervisor Dillon is saying. It removes the risk that I was talking about. But now what do we have? We have a gigantic pile of dry wood Mm. in a drought with high temperatures when we're at great risk of fires. So it's not just an issue of the cost of the property owner. If we have a fire that starts somewhere else, we have like potential pyres of wood sitting on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. Dr. Skinner, um, again, with the CPUC Public Advocates Office, I want to Unfortunately, PG&E did not um, agree to join us for this segment, but I do want to kind of get their perspective on in some in some way uh, to the extent that we can, because insiders that I have spoken to there paint the picture of a company that is trying is trying to do what they can. um, But obviously, the task at hand is so is daunting. Right. Um, Is it your sense that, you know, where PG&E was circa 2017 um, versus where PG&E is now. Is there a, a pretty wide chasm there from what you can tell? We're still seeing the same failures and the same problems. It's the sh- same shoddy management, although it's different people. Um, I think their crews and their contractors out in the field are doing their best. Um, but when we look at how management is handling this, they haven't prioritized inspections in the high-risk areas, or they've done inspections with people who weren't fully qualified to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, They've paid people to verify tree trimming work when the tree trimming work hadn't been done. They didn't communicate inspection procedures to their workers. They aren't keeping track of their contractors' work. And Dr. Skinner, Um, if I may, you know, how how different is PG&E on this issue in terms of maintenance and inspections compared to, let's say, 25 years ago? Because there was a time when PG&E did a lot of this work in-house. The way we see it being done today is it's from a highly outsourced workforce, from what I understand. That's my understanding as well, is that a lot of their workforce um, is contractors. There's a lot of pressure in the rest of the Rockies for more tree trimming, more vegetation management. Pacific Corps has had wildfires. Uh, the Slater Fire up on the Oregon-California border. Uh, Edison is having this problem in Southern California. So is San Diego Gas and Electric, Bear Valley. And so with reliance on contractors, that loosens some of the control that the utility has. And that just even it being a different company has created some of these problems rather than it being in-house where they can have consistent standards uh, consistent training. Mm-hmm. Diane, and so that is creating problems. Diane Dillon, Napa County Supervisor, one final question to you as you look ahead to what we are actually already in fire season. I shouldn't say we're looking ahead to fire season. Uh, how prepared uh, does your county seem to be at this point? 
I'm not sure we have Diane Dillon with us anymore. Uh, Diane Dillon, thank you for joining us, uh, Napa County Supervisor. I want to go to some comments now. Pete writes, PG&E's failures are egregious and deadly, and they aren't done yet. Just this week, they were found to be lying about tree trimming work they'd promised to do years after they've killed people. How will they be held accountable? How can we get to a safe system free of Wall Street greed? Dr. Skinner, is that a comment you might be interested in weighing in on? I mean, I think accountability is a question that a lot of Northern Californians have. Um, We have the CPUC, which is ostensibly overseeing the utility. Um, The governor is there. uh, I don't hear him talking a lot about PG&E. I personally have sent multiple inquiries to him over the last two years about various uh, elements of the bankruptcy and sort of just the state of the company. And we don't hear back from him on those on those questions. So what, what is your take? How do how do public officials and others hold PG&E accountable? What really needs to happen is for the Public Utilities Commission to stop accepting PG&E's continued failures and excuses. Um, They have done two things to place greater emphasis, but that needs to be followed up with action and accountability. They have placed PG&E into the enhanced oversight process for the vegetation management failures. Uh, Some of those failures were found by the Commission's Wildfire Safety Division. Mm -hmm. And what Um, what is that stepped-up oversight process? I mean, it sounds like regulatory jargon to a lot of us. What is that? So the first step required them to provide a corrective action plan. And then every 90 days, they're going to meet with the Commission. Uh, The process for this is still being developed. We very much are hoping that it will be a public, transparent process that allows all of the impacted people and groups to weigh in. Um, It's the first time that this has happened, and so there's a lot of kinks and issues that are going to need to be worked out. Um, And if they don't do what they need to do, if their corrective action plan is deficient, then they'll be placed into further steps. And ultimately, it could result in the revocation of PG&E's license to operate. We're talking about high-risk power lines with Aaron Glantz, Senior Investigations Editor at NPR's California Newsroom, and Dr. Nathaniel Skinner, who oversees the safety branch at the CPUC's Public Advocates Office. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Lily Jamali. Welcome back to Forum. What are your questions about power lines and wildfire risk? Give us a call now at 866-7337-6786. That's 866-7337-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We are at KQED Forum. Let's go to caller Margaret, who joins us. Welcome to Forum. Hi. Um, I'm not forgiving PG&E a thing. They're their practices are terrible. They overcompensate people who should be losing their pay. However, I worked for PG&E in the mid-80s before deregulation, and they used to do so much getting ready for summer, getting ready for winter work in-house. Mm-hmm. And deregulation um, changed a lot. Again, I'm not forgiving them anything, but Ronald Reagan has a lot to answer for for deregulation. That's all. Mm. Yeah, thank you, Margaret. If you're still there, I'd, I'd welcome your thoughts on an issue that came up a few minutes ago, just sort of how PG&E has changed. Um, you know, how valuable was it to have their uh, their workforce doing this work 
in-house? Well, I think it was very important. Um, and they employed enough people to do everything safely. So in the summertime, I worked up at the geothermal power plants. In the summertime, um, we would, in the wintertime, actually, we would get the power plants ready for high demand summer. So it was just, um, I think they did a much better job when bottom line wasn't everything. And after deregulation, they had to compete with uh, companies that didn't have the same safety practices and all that. Um, again, I don't mm. know a lot about it. Yeah. I just feel like deregulation did not help, nor mm. has it helped anything, really. All right. Margaret, thank you so much for your call. I want to go to a comment now from Bill who writes, why in the world hasn't PG&E gone underground with their cables? I remember calling them to my property once regarding a cable that was 12 feet off the ground. They said it was fine. That was before the fires. It wasn't long after the 2017 fires that they showed up unannounced and fixed it. It is my opinion that they've gotten away with murder, literally. And I have asked, um, had multiple conversations about undergrounding with the folks at PG&E, um, I think the big issue there is that it it's very expensive, Dr. Skinner. Um, that doesn't mean they shouldn't do it. They are doing it in paradise. But how, you know, is undergrounding always the answer? Um, does it create new problems in terms of safety? So undergrounding is complex. It takes longer to do. Um, it can get very expensive. Roads get torn up, which can create other safety issues. Um, and it really needs to be coordinated with other utility projects at the same time, which can help drive down that cost and make it more affordable. Um, one of the major downsides to undergrounding is that if there is a problem on that line, it does take longer to repair and to get service up. Um, mm -hmm. When a line goes down, you can see it. If that happens underground, they have to basically isolate the two points and then start hunting it down, which means people are without power for a longer period of time. Let's go to our next caller. Bruce is on the line. Bruce, welcome to Forum. Hi, thanks so much, Lily. I appreciate your, your time. Thank you for being here. We'd love to hear your question. Hi, I've got a question about why is PG&E allowed to remain a viable company when any other investor-owned company is required to, in effect, pay for their sins. PG&E has been proven negligent in so many things that are a public safety issue, and I'm wondering why the state has not moved to take over the entire company in mass. Mm. Very interesting question. Dr. Skinner would welcome your take on that. Um, my sense is that I don't know if the state wants to deal with this company. Uh, who wants to own PG&E, right? Right. It's a challenge. As we saw in the bankruptcy, there were not a particularly great number of takers who were interested in buying out PG&E, operating their system. Uh, when we look at uh, San Diego Gas and Electric, for example, their uh, current franchise agreement is up for renegotiation. The city council, I think, has put out to bid two or three times now to see if anybody wants to take over the San Diego part of the system, mm -hmm. uh, even in kind of the less risky downtown areas. And so far there've been no takers there, let alone for a utility the size of PG&E with all of its interesting aspects and challenges. Mm. Um, with the enhanced oversight process, um, which we also felt should have included other problems such as 
PG&E blowing its own deadlines for inspecting poles and transmission towers, um, that would, if PG&E keeps failing, lead to the revocation of their license to operate and in essence, could result in the company being broken up or bought out by other takers. Right. And there is a regionalization effort underway now. We will see how that plays out. Thank you so much to Aaron Glantz, Senior Investigations Editor at NPR's California Newsroom, and Dr. Nathaniel Skinner, who oversees the safety branch at the CPUC's Public Advocates Office. We've been talking about the problem of high wildfire risk power lines. If you see lines in your neighborhood that concern you, safely take a photo and email it to fires at kqed.org. That's fires at kqed.org. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Lily Jamali. Stay tuned for a Another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.